This is Edge of the Box, a podcast brought to you by whoscored.com. Hello, welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined as ever by Jonathan Wilson, and we've got Josh again this week because it's too early for Martin Lawrence. Jonathan, <laughs> dressed like he's about to be unveiled as a manager at a press conference this morning. Oh, the manager turned up in Tweed. I'd be very impressed by them. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm going out for a very nice lunch, which is why we're uh, why we're starting early, and I very much appreciate everybody's efforts. So thank you very much. Anything for you, Jonathan and Josh? Good to have you on again. Not going to be looking out the window today, though, which is a little bit disappointing. New I location. Know. New location. A couple of people in the comments wondered why I kept looking out the window, and last week there was a guy with a leaf blower. It's very <laughs> excited. It's more and exciting was, than what we're talking about. He was doing a terrible job as well. The leaves were going just everywhere, nowhere in particular. So he caught my attention a couple of times. But they're so today. noisy leaf blowers, aren't they? I really yeah. hate leaf blowers. Yeah. But yeah, so no window today. Just no. use a use a brush. <laughs> I mean we could yeah. I mean we probably could do a whole podcast on this, but we will do a podcast on the Premier League weekend. But we're gonna start <laughs> with a brief Champions League roundup now. We did a Twitter Spaces last night, Jonathan. I don't know whether you know the first time we, we've delved into there. So thanks to everyone that tuned in to the Twitter Spaces after the Champions League game and for Josh for controlling it. Because my so what, what's a Twitter space? It's like a mini podcast just talking about the Champions League last night. Huh? They talked about the Man City game, Manny, which was a very, very enjoyable game. Really, really interesting. I thought we've got Champions League team of the week, haven't we, Josh? Uh, yeah, unfortunately, there's no Manchester City players. Although it was you, are you actually joking, man? No, I'm not. It was a high-class technical performance, but obviously there are a lot of other games um, that obviously we weren't paying attention to, and there's a lot of good ratings from them as well. So I'll just run through the team. Uh, in goal, we've got Josep Martinez, who he only had 24 hours to prepare for the game after Peter Glashy tested positive for COVID. But um, yeah, his European debut went pretty well for RB Leipzig. Uh, and then moving into defence, we've got Rhys James, who just can't stop scoring. Um, set in centre-back, we have Salzburg's Maximilian Volba, and Sporting's Gonzalo Inacio. Uh, and then at left back, we have Lille's Rinaldo. Um, into midfield, we've got Rodrigo for Real Madrid, who's a bit of an odd player who loves the Champions League. He's got 12 goals and assists in 20 appearances, um, and he's averaging one every 72 minutes uh, in the competition. Midfield partnership is not Bernardo Silva, unfortunately. But it's it was an out- outrageous decision from who scored algorithm. <laughs> He he does get a mention later on in our Premier League form rankings, but just for this one, it's RB Leipzig midfielders uh, Christopher Nkunku, who's got seven goals in five appearances in the Champions League this season. Um, PSG, his former club, have only got nine as a team, so maybe they let him go a bit too hastily. Uh, and he's joined by Emil Forsberg. And then at left midfield, we've got Ivan Perisic. And then the two up front is Edin Dzeko, who brought up 50 goals in European competition last season. Really good striker, Edin Dzeko, I think. Um, a bit underrated in his career. Um, and he's joined up front by young boys' Jordan Sibachu. So, yeah, not not the big names, but it's, I guess it's always nice for the for the, the players that you don't really hear about get a mention. Bernardo Silva, if he's watching this, he's going to be absolutely outraged because I thought he was absolutely <laughs> stupendous last night. But I think you make a valid point on, on Edin Dzeko. I think he's very, very underrated. Kind of flies under the radar even for the you know the fact that they won the league. You know he, his goal was actually really really important, but because of the nature of Aguero's goal, Jekko's header just before never gets talked about. But obviously that was that was just as important because it set them on their way. Yeah, always good to watch the Champions League. Really really enjoyable evening. Let's look at the Premier League weekend then. A team that don't feature much actually in our in our big previews. It's Arsenal against Newcastle. It's the Joe Willock derby because I couldn't think of anyone and Jonathan had to inform me about... about I don't say Jonathan Willock. But I say no, Joe you said Joe, you got it right. I say Joe Willock. Okay, fine, yeah. I'll carry on. Yeah, the Joe Willock derby. Not many players that have played for Arsenal and, and Newcastle, so yeah, I have to go with the, the basic one. Yeah. Malcolm McDonald, the, the other one who, who immediately leapt out to me. I'm sure there are others, but they're, they're the two. I'm telling you, as I said to you earlier, I lay awake thinking about it last night and there's not many <laughs> at all. Arsenal... Come and stuck Jonathan against Liverpool. A little bit of naivety. I've thought a little bit of naivety from Arteta actually to, to line up the same way as he has in previous games against Liverpool, playing that playing those two strikers. I think maybe he should have dropped an extra midfielder in. I don't know. It's always difficult, isn't it? Because if he if he had gone more defensive and they'd been beaten as comfortably as they were, we'd have said, "Oh, yeah, he should have stuck to what was working." So I, I think that's always it's always difficult to say with hindsight. But but yeah. Um, 
you know, you look back at those first three games of the season when I mean Brentford, okay, but but then got battered by by Chelsea, got battered by uh, Manchester City, and I think we we, you know, we see where Arsenal's level is. They're nowhere near as good as that top top three or four. Um, they're but they are pretty good in that that sort of mid table range, and I, and I think this was sort of a just a reminder to everybody not to get carried away that that although they you know they had been on a ten game unbeaten run, uh, which they'd won eight. Yeah, when it comes up again, when they come up against the very best opposition, there's still there's still quite a quite a gulf there. Would you be worried, Josh? We probably won't be worried because you're not an Arsenal fan. But the fragility creeps back in now for, for Arsenal. You know, they could they could now go on a little bit of a, a sticky run based on the fact that they've just been humbled at Anfield. Or would you just think it's just a one-off? I think it's important for Arsenal not to get too down on the result. I think. If they're being realistic, that as Jonathan said, Liverpool, City, and Chelsea—they're just not in the same conversation for Arsenal. Um, those are the top; those top three positions are pretty much done. Really, it just depends it depends on what order. So as long as Arsenal accept that fourth is really the best they can achieve, and probably what the best they can achieve for, for like a few more seasons. Because if you're looking at Bukayo Saka and Emil Smith Rowe as your inspirations, they're only 20 and 21, and I guess no, unless they're generational talents, no top well-run club. Is banking on on players with so such inexperience. If you look at just Liverpool, they got sat. They had Salah, who's twenty nine, Mane twenty nine, Fabinho twenty eight, Van Dijk thirty, Allison's twenty nine, and Matip's thirty. They've got world class experienced players all over the pitch. And unless, and that's the difficulty for clubs like Arsenal and other similar clubs is unless they have really good recruitment, and that takes years and years to even get close to that position. So yeah, they shouldn't be too down in it. I don't think. Um, they just have to focus on what their realistic their targets are. I think this season. Yeah, still heading in the right direction. I think. I think they're still going to be contenders for fourth, which um, I think they would have taken. Andy Cole, Mathieu Debussy, George Easton. Oh, you've you've read. You've either been googling or you've been thinking. What, what well, Andy Cole's talking? a bit of a cheat, isn't he? Did Andy Cole even play for Arsenal? He was definitely on their books. He was there. He was there. Yeah, he was there before he went to Bristol City, and then he went yeah. to Bristol City to Newcastle. But but Debussy and George Easton definitely. Very, very well done. I'm still absolutely buzzing that I knew that Ivan Tony had played for Newcastle last week and you didn't know that. that is no, I didn't. I didn't. So pass me and then they, men- they mentioned it on Match of the Day as well. They like, did. Oh, it was, it was I like, drag it to me now. Yes, come on. <laughs> Football pundit. This is what I'm here for. <laughs> Newcastle then, Jonathan. You watch Match of the Day. I don't know whether you watch the whole game of, of Newcastle. I would describe it as chaos. Under, under Eddie Howe, it was a good chaos because they looked very, very dangerous going forward, but still defensively all over the place, which Eddie Howe, you know, he can't really take the blame for that. But it was an exciting game. But they, they looked a lot more interesting to watch, didn't they? Yeah, they did. I mean, um, I, mean I'm sl- I have to say I'm slightly puzzled by the line of attack on Steve Bruce that he was over-defensive as a coach because um, that was true at times, but it wasn't true all the time. Uh, and certainly through his career, there have been periods of defensiveness, but also periods when, when I was spelled at Sunderland, when every game was sort of 4 1 or 5 2, one way or the other. Um, but yeah, I, I think they they had become a miserable watch this season, quite apart from everything else. And and that 3 3 was absolutely not a miserable watch. Uh, so they did look more coherent and cohesive going forward. But that, that, that worry we had about them defensively. Well, none of those worries have gone away. That they hadn't kept a clean sheet all season before Eddie Howe took over. Eddie Howe's Bournemouth conceded sixty-five goals a season on average over his five years in the Premier League. And if you're letting in three at home to Brentford, well, sixty-five goals a season looks like it's on again. So, yeah, um, good going forward. Disappointing at the back, and that is really the pattern I think we probably expected. Yeah, they got this new player as well, Josh. That I've never seen before this forty million pound player, Joe Linton. Very, very lively all of a sudden when now Steve Bruce has departed and Eddie Howe's come in like a, completely like a new signing. I guess that was the big surprise for Newcastle supporters day. It wasn't Callum Wilson or Alan St. Maxon, but it was Joe Linson that performed the best in Howe's game. He was actually the who scored man of the match in the draw. Um, again, look, there's a lot to be said for a striker that scored, I think it's seven goals in 80 league games uh, for someone that cost £40 million. But Howe seems to have identified him as a key man early on. I think he was in the pre-match press conference to the Brentford game, he, he sort of hinted that Steve Bruce had been playing him out of position. Uh, and we looked at where he had played Joe, Joe Linton and it was always on the wide left of midfield in a 5-4-1 formation. Um, and against Brentford, Howe put him straight up on the wide right in a 3-4-3. So there was a, there was a change there immediately. Um, and people expect footballers to work hard, but quite a lot of them don't. 
Um, and Joe Linton does provide that. Newcastle signed him from a Hoffenheim team that was coached by Julian Nagelsmann. So he, there, he is schooled in in impressing and how how seems to have identified him as someone that can lead Newcastle's press. It was interesting that against Brentford, he obviously scored the goal, but he had 71 touches of the ball. Um, he was everywhere on the pitch, and that's the most he's ever touched touched the ball in a Premier League game. So if, in the short term, at least, maybe he seems that like he's going to be a big player for Eddie Howe, which might have surprised a few uh, heading heading into that first game. Yeah, Joe Linton, Mark 2, Jonathan. Although he did go back to Joe, Joe Linton, Mark 1, when he fell over at the end of the game, when he looked like he, he might score the winner, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, I've always sort of felt a bit sorry for Mitty Castle. That, I mean, I know he scored in his debut, didn't he? But it pretty quickly went wrong. But he was sort of missold. There's this sort of idea, oh, yeah, he's this £40 million striker. Well, he was never really a striker, either at Rapid Vienna or at Hoffenheim. Um, I mean, I look, I look back positioning because I, I wasn't sort of aware, really, that he'd played on the right before, but it, it, he did spend most of one season at Hoffenheim playing on the right. But before that, he you know he either played off a forward uh, as a sort of false nine or off the left. Um, so I think there was this sort of great burden of expectation placed on him when he arrived, that he was going to be this great goal scorer, which is never really what he was all about, that he needed to play alongside a goal scorer or with players going beyond him. Um, so, you know, I, I, you know, I hope for his sake that this is the start of, of, of a turnaround because it just sort of felt like one of those careers that was going to end up being wasted through no real fault of his own, that, that, that he'd been forced into circumstances where people had expectations of him which weren't valid expectations. And then he became a symbol for, uh, you know, the failures of the Ashley regime in terms of recruitment, in terms of players being foisted on managers that we perhaps didn't didn't want, um, so yeah, hopefully from his point of view that that is the start of something uh, because I, you know, I, th- I think what we saw in Germany and Austria, you know, there is a player there just got to find it again. Just on Newcastle, I was, on the the goals they conceded, I was I watched it back uh, in the build up to this podcast. And I was watching the goals that they last conceded. when the build up to the podcast was, Josh. It's half past eight in the morning. When was the build up to the podcast? At the start of the week, it started. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, one, one was a goalkeeping error and one was a massive deflection. And when I was watching it, I thought, well, on another day, those things don't happen. But um, unfortunately, with Newcastle, they do. I look back across the last three seasons, and Newcastle have made the most errors leading to an opposition goal of 19, and they're also second for own goals of six. So, Eddie, ha- it's not that's not a one off, really. So, Eddie Howe has to sort that out quickly they want to beat the drop. I like the thought of a lot of people building up to go into events or go into a football match. Josh builds up to, to be on the podcast early on in the way. He gets himself set, gets himself ready. Got to get mentally prepared. Very, very professional. Very, very <laughs> professional. Everything that I am not. Bet build me then, Josh. This one, we've got a four-leg one for the Arsenal-Newcastle game. Uh, it's The first leg is Arsenal to win. They've won the last six meetings with Newcastle and they haven't conceded a goal in that time. Uh, we've picked a Bamiyang to score this week for Arsenal. Um, he scored. He scored in each of his last five appearances against Newcastle. So, loves it against the the Toonami. Uh, and then we've got two bookings to finish it off. We've got John Joe Shelby, who's been booked in three of his five league appearances this season, uh, and Kieran Clark, who's been booked at least two more times against Arsenal than any other club in his career. Uh, so that was twenty eight to one, and Bet Victor have boosted that to forty to one, which is the leading price and far beyond some of the other leading bookies. Kieran Clark once played in midfield for Aston Villa against Arsenal and scored a double. Uh, heady days, absolutely heady days. Predictions then, I'll start. I've gone for 2-1 to Arsenal. Jonathan? Likewise, 2-1 Arsenal. Based on Josh. Arsenal winning against Newcastle and not conceding a goal, we've gone for 1-0 Arsenal. 1-0. Yeah, I can say that. I can say that. Well, actually, no. After the chaos of Eddie Howe's Newcastle last week, will he be back in the dugout? Is he back in the dugout, Eddie Howe? Has he recovered? Or has he got another game on? We'll find out. It depends we'll exactly when when the positive test was, I think, probably. Yeah. Uh, and we'll also, see. does it depend whether he's vaccinated or is that only a German rule? Which I haven't I mean, got to play. We've had to learn about this week as a Bayern's nonsensical bench. Yeah. I have absolutely no idea, Jonathan, but we will find out Saturday at lunchtime. We move on now to the Just a Minute section. Josh, how did we go with the predictions last week then? It's getting tighter at the top. You've taken a three-point lead down at the top oh, of the have table. that, Jonathan, have that. You, you've got 84 points, Jonathan's got 81 points, and who scored have got 80. So there's only four points between all of us now. I had a good Super Sunday, I love them both. I think we all got Tottenham Leeds, to be fair, but I got I got Man City, a late goal for Man City, swung it in my favour and got me the three yeah. points. So. I think we all predicted Tottenham to beat Leeds 2-1, and yeah. we Jonathan and who scored got the 3-0 uh, 
uh, Man City, which helped. I thought I was the only one that got the three 0 Man City. I didn't. I didn't get the three 0 City. I didn't. You I had, was the only one. J- Jonathan had I two 0 yeah. So that late goal was a decisive, really. Yeah. Yeah. Top of the league, heady days. Jonathan says he doesn't care, but when he's top, I remember him giving it the big one. But when he's <laughs> when, when he's not top, he suddenly doesn't care, which is very very interesting. I'm I'm merely I'm merely pointing out that we're on what the we're a third of the way through the season. There's a long long way to go. And if that late City goal hadn't gone on, got hadn't gone in, I'd have been clear at the top. Would that have meant anything? Yes, yes actually, it would. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Should say as the Edge of the Box podcast is a year old today. I don't know yeah. whether you knew that, Jonathan. Be I did. Well, what, a, a what, a, what a touching moment! Uh, well, maybe uh, maybe uh, we'll I'll raise a glass that. at lunchtime. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, a, what a milestone! Who can believe <laughs> that we've been going for for one whole year? That people have, have let us continue to do it. First game then, Jonathan, in the just a minute is the big one. It's Crystal Palace against Aston Villa and it's the Gareth Southgate derby for you. <laughs> Palace unbeaten in seven in the league, but five of those have been draws. Of those draws, though, in four of them, they've had the better XG. So I think there is a sense they are playing really well at the moment and perhaps aren't quite getting the the uh, the results they deserve. Uh, if you look at an expected points table, uh, I think they'd be sixth. Um Villa will be 15th by expected points. They have been playing as badly as, as results suggest. Uh, the win against Brighton, first game of Stephen Gerrard, suggests perhaps that a corner has been turned. And despite the sort of difference in perception of how the two teams are playing, Villa are only three points behind Palace. Uh, I think what was interesting about Gerrard's first game was that return to, to the 4-3-3 that, that, that he'd used at Rangers, a very narrow front three uh, with uh, uh, Watkins wide. Um, and it meant when Deer could play on the right then, that seemed to work. I think it works with Target and Cash getting forward. So we'll see how that works out. Last season, Palace won this game 3-2. I think it'd be a lot tighter and a lot cager this time. I'm going to say 1-1. Snap. I've gone for 1-1 as well, although I am going, and if ever I'm going to a Villa away game, you can almost certainly bet that they will get beaten. What's who scored prediction? <laughs> We've gone for 2 all. 2 all. 2 all. Yeah. goals, goals. Goals. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Josh, your turn. It's the Ricky Lambert derby. It's Liverpool v Southampton. There's a lot of players in this derby, isn't there? For... Yeah, it could be, could have been anyone. <laughs> uh, Van Dijk. Changes were made by Liverpool midweek for a game that meant nothing for Jurgen Klopp's team, but he still fielded a stronger team than expected, with the likes of Thiago Salamane and Matip all risked. Diogo Jota, Jordan Henderson, Milner and Robertson were all fit to make the bench against Porto, signalling they will all return to the starting eleven here. But there's still no Roberto Firmino, Harvey Elliott or Curtis Jones. Southampton were made to rue missed chances against Norwich last weekend, particularly in the first half where they had 12 shots to Norwich's one. Not really expecting many changes at all from them this weekend. But Nathan Redmond should be back after the birth of his child. But Stuart Armstrong, Musa Gineppo and Jack Stevens are all expected to miss out. Southampton haven't won a Premier League game at Anfield since 2013. And it's difficult to see that changing here. And we're backing a Liverpool 2-0 win. 3-0 for me. Jonathan? Uh, 3-0 for Liverpool. Yeah, 3-0. Have we well. done the same for all three so far? Yeah, we're matchy-matchy all the way through so far. Not great. I don't know, actually, now, that's good. Who cares? <laughs> get that. Absolutely get that up. Although, who scored are going to rock it to the top of the league now if we keep doing the same? Now, I didn't have someone for this derby match, but I literally just popped into my head. The Matt Jarvis derby is Norwich <laughs> against Wolves, Jonathan. Oh, very good. I, th- I think there's been a sort of sense that, that they were pretty much doomed after about a month of the season, that it felt like we were following the same old pattern. But they did have a very tough start to the season in terms of fixtures. And there has been a clear improvement. Obviously, the change of manager, Dean Smith, coming in uh, is, is responsible for the for the second of their two wins. But they have won the last two in a the row. They've, they've scored five goals in the last three games, having only scored two in the first nine. So, from a yeah, an admittedly low bar. There are definite signs of progress. They're off the bottom now, which may help psychologically. Wolves playing really well at the moment. Only one defeat in the last seven. They've won five of those. Uh, if you look at the expected points table, they'd be seventh in the table. That maybe they didn't get the results their performance deserved in the early weeks of the season. Huang and Jimenez have both scored three goals in that seven-game run, uh, looking like a proper partnership. Um, so I, I, I suspect a low Norwich are playing better. Wolves probably... Uh, are just better and defensively I think Wolves are very good so I'm going to go for Wolves win 1-0 I've gone for 1-1 Dean Smith to continue his unbeaten start for Norwich Josh who's good? Uh, Wolves to win 2-1 Wolves to win 2-1 differential this is what we want this is what we're here for 
Right, next game for you, Josh, and this is a very cheap one. It's the Ben White Derby, Brighton <laughs> against Leeds, and nothing else leaping out at me. Off you go. This match is probably the hardest to predict in terms of formation and personnel. Great, both Graham Potter and Marcelo Bielsa love changing up, and that will probably be the case here. After perhaps overachieving at the start of the season, Brighton are now struggling for wins. The Seagulls are now winless in eight games, but they are still in the top half of the table. Change, changes, as they always are for Brighton, will likely be made with Joel Veltman, Solly March and Neil Morpé pushing for starts. It's unclear at the time of recording whether Rodrigo and Rafinha will return for Leeds this weekend. Both missed the two undefeats to Tottenham last time out. With Luke Ayling and Patrick Bamford still sidelined, Leeds are really struggling for numbers at the moment. Leeds actually took the lead against Tottenham but ended up losing. They've still only won twice in the league this season and those victories came against strugglers Norwich and Watford. There hasn't actually been a draw in any of the last 11 matches between the two sides, but in a game that we're struggling to make sense of, we're going to go for a one-all draw. One-all. Jonathan? 2-1 uh, to Brighton. No, I've gone 2-1 to Leeds. Ooh. Ooh, that's good. Just I thought Leeds were very good in the first half against Spurs last last week. I thought they were really, really impressive. I think they're gonna they're gonna have to come good at some point. And I watched Brighton at Villa Park last night. Last night, it wasn't last night, it was at the weekend, last weekend. <laughs> boring. Very slow, lots of passing, not really going anywhere. So yeah, I've gone for Brighton one, Leeds two. Jonathan, your next game is Brentford against Everton, and I have not got a derby for this one. Not a clue. No, nothing springs immediately to mind. Brentford, having had a really good start, haven't won the last five. There's maybe just a, a touch of concern there. Uh, having said that, in three of those five games, they, they, they were the better team looking at the XG models and just looking at the game with your eyes. Uh, you know, they, Particularly against Chelsea, they played really well. Uh, that maybe suggests that they, they lack a bit of finishing quality, that, that, that that's the thing that's letting them down. And that's not helped by the fact they've got uh, as many as eight players possibly out. And you know, particularly a club like Brentford, I think when you get that many injuries, it's always going to undermine you. They're still five points off the drop, so they shouldn't be that concerned yet. Um, and they're, they're two behind Everton, who also have huge injury problems, haven't won in six. Uh, but no Calvert-Lewin, no Dekure, no Mina, no Davis, no Gomez, no Gray, Holgate and Richarlison, both suspended. Uh, so a lot of people are missing for them. Um yeah, two points from the last six for them. Uh, and so I think this will be pretty tight. And I'm going to go 1-1. One, one. Had I known that Everton had that entire team missing, I might have gone, <laughs> I might have gone different. I've gone nil-nil. I think I'm only the only person that's ever predicted a nil-nil before and it didn't come up. There was loads of goals in that game. So hopefully this time I'll get it right. What Who's scored gone for, Josh? We've gone for Brentford to capitalise on Everton's injury crisis and 2-1 mm, to Brentford. Good research. Makes sense <laughs> to do a little bit of research, doesn't it? Josh, your final preview is Burnley against Tottenham. It's the Kieran Trippier derby. Burnley have only lost one of their last seven Premier League matches and are slowly get, slowly but surely coming getting closer to safety. The problem is they've only won once in that time, drawing too many of them. Surprisingly, goals haven't been the problem, but it's been keeping them out. They've scored more goals than Arsenal, Tottenham and Manchester United since the start of October, but they've only kept one clean sheet all season, and that was against Norwich. Tottenham were actually booed off at half-time against Leeds last weekend, but Antonio Conte's side turned it around for his first league-winning charge. Tottenham fans got their first taste of Conte's sideline theatrics, and it certainly went down well come the full-time whistle. All is pretty good on the injury front for them, other than Christian Romero, whose injury is now worse than first thought. He looks like he's going to miss a, a pretty chunky spell. Um, Tottenham players don't yet have the required fitness levels to carry out Conte's style of play. And as we saw at the start of his Chelsea reign, we're expecting a few hiccups. We're actually going to go for a one-all draw here. I've gone Burnley 1, Spurs 2. Jonathan? Burnley 1, Spurs 2. Football connoisseur's choice there for that yeah. prediction. Uh, final game. For you, Jonathan, is Leicester against Watford. I'm going to have to say Claudio Ranieri, Darby, because I've not thought of anything. <laughs> I mean, Leicester, Leicester's season seems to just be sort of drifting along, going nowhere. That I, I guess the hope for them is that they're just doing the season the other way around, how they've done the last two seasons, and that they're going to have a, a brilliant end of the season rather than the brilliant beginning they have had. Haven't won the last three. Uh, they've only won twice at home all season, which is obviously a concern. I think it, 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 you know, it shows how they're, they're more effective playing on the break. Uh, injuries really, I think, are the issue there. Fafana and Tielemans particularly, but Pereira and Justin also out. But Tielemans is so important for creativity from the back of midfield uh, that they do they do lack a lot when he's not there, both in terms of breaking forward and scoring goals and the pass he can deliver to uh, Vardy or Iheanacho or, or, or Patson Dacca. Uh, Watford are only two points behind Leicester, which uh, I think would not have been how we'd have seen this from the start of the season. Uh, very hard to work out what's going on at Watford. Some brilliant wins, some pretty drab games. 
I think there is a sense somewhere in there of them tightening up under under Ranieri, but I still think that Watford probably don't have enough, and so I'm going for Leicester to win one nil. I've gone for two two. Josh, who's good? Leicester. Oh, we've gone for Leicester to win two one, and we've actually got a, a boost for this game from Bet Victor. I'm not sure if you remember last weekend we correctly tipped uh, Rudiger to score. Um, good fantasy football news that was, Jonathan. Yeah. Excellent fantasy football. No, news. when that goal went in, honestly, my heart lifted for you. Good. <laughs> Lovely to hear. Heartwarming tale. It, so in this game, we've we've looked back and Jamie Vardy's actually scored a penalty in four of the last five meetings with Watford at the King Power Stadium. Uh, so we've got a boost for him to score a penalty and that's been boosted to 11-2, to two, which is the best price you'll find around. Whilst we're bragging then, how did we get on with our Saturday 3pm treble last week? I think I can brag. I'm not sure if anyone else can. Yeah, it was just you, wasn't it, that your tip came in? Yeah. I mean, come on, my, my, mine was right in everything apart from not actually happening. What was yours? I, I went for Newcastle to win both teams to score, which was nine to two, I think. It was, you know, it was, a, it was a hefty price, and if you know, as, you know, as Josh said earlier, two of the uh, Brentford goals were were pretty fortuitous. Hmm. So Newcastle the better side and lots of goals. I, I, I haven't got. I haven't, that's not me that's at fault there. Yeah, that's a looker. And you, Bobby, you went for Southampton to be Norwich in the who scored leg. Yeah, and they should have done really in the first half. As I said, they had 12 shots and Norwich's one in the first half and then just, just didn't take their chances. But... Dean, Dean Smith, you, you didn't you underestimate the Dean Smith and Billy Gilmore link-up, <laughs> yeah. didn't you, Jack? I, mate, you know what? I liked that. Well, I didn't like that treble at all, actually. I didn't like one leg of the treble, so I did my own. So I had Norwich to beat. I had Norwich to beat Southampton instead of Southampton to beat Norwich, which came in. My Ollie Watkins to score came in, and then Newcastle didn't win. So that ru- that yeah. ruined my, my treble. So yeah, I went against I went against us a little bit because I fancied Norwich to beat Southampton, and obviously they did. Uh, what's our treble this week then? Uh, yep. So oh. you you stuck with them for the goal scorer bet. You've tipped Benteke to score against Villa. Um, yeah, his old club, obviously. Yeah. He scored five in his last five starts. Uh, we've gone for Real Jimenez to score against Norwich. Did so uh, home and away last time out in the Premier League. And Jonathan, you've gone for Liverpool to win at half to be leading at half time and full time. Which yeah. seems a pr- pretty solid bet, doesn't it? Well, all, all seven of our league wins this season have been ahead of half time, so yeah. I think think that does seem to make sense. Yeah, and, you know, just just a way of getting a bit a bit more value out of a, a Liverpool savvy, savvy move. Yeah, and uh, so that it. was that thirteen to one bet. Victor have boosted that to sixteen to one, and again, that is the best price. All of our tips this weekend are best price uh, around at the time. I like of that I like that. I thought Benteke hadn't ever scored against Villa, but then I realised he did score last season against us at Southhurst Park. So good omen. Well, not bad omens for me, but good omens if you like that bet. Let's look ahead now to Manchester City against West Ham. João Cancelo, we talked about him a little bit on the Twitter spaces last night, but Jonathan, that pass last week. It's Paul Merson at Villaresque outside of the book. Really was <laughs> unbelievable pass. And a very good finish from Sterling, which has gone under the radar a little bit. But Cancelo from fullback. I mean, Pep just gets the best out of fullbacks, doesn't it? There's this odd talk about around um, Trent Alexander-Arnold that, oh, you know, he's so good on the ball, maybe he should play midfield. Well, one of the reasons he's good on the ball is because fullbacks get a lot of the ball and they get a lot of crossing opportunities. And so you want your best passers at fullback. And then Cancelo, although he's quite different in how he plays, Alexander-Arnold, is another example of that. And then, you know, I remember Jack Charlton after the 94 World Cup saying that fullback had become tactically the most interesting and most important position on the pitch. And I, I think we can say, yeah, 27 years on, that's still true. There's so many different varieties of fullbacks. It feels it's a position that we're still exploring the possibilities of what a fullback can do. Um, and Cancelo, the way he comes inside, uh, which is obviously to do with the fact he's, you know, he's so comfortable on either either foot. Um, but it, it just means City have they they can use him to to um, become sort of almost like an old-fashioned wing half. So if you imagine sort of the, the the base defensive shape for all teams now, uh, when the ball's at the other end of the pitch, is a back three and then two hard midfielders in front of them. Uh, if you have your fullbacks and tuck into that position, it means one of your actual midfielders can go forward, which gives you an extra angle of attack, or he can go forward himself. I um, mean, there's that extraordinary statistic. I don't know if it's still true, but a couple of weeks it was true that Cancelo had had more touches in the opposition final third than Jack Grealish this season. Uh, I mean, he had played slightly more minutes, I think, but still. He's a fullback. Really, obviously, he's playing as a as a forward. So yeah, he's hugely important to to City going forward. And it's not just because he's got great energy to get forward. And it's not cause, just because his positional sense is so good. It's because, as you say, he's, he's a phenomenal passer of the ball. 
I should have said, by the way, this is the Steve Lomas derby at the SES. <laughs> Man City v West Ham. The amazing thing about Cancelo, Josh, is that, you know, everyone talks about, you know, we're talking about Reese James and Trent a lot who are, who are playing right back. Cancelo's doing it from, from, from the wrong side, which I think makes it a little bit more special. He falls into that category um, of players that have a tough first season under Guardiola and then get written off a little bit and then just come good. I think it's quite, it's quite true of a lot of the Manchester City signings that he's made. Um, and just as a wider point, as you say, um, how important fullbacks have become. We, in our top 20 who scored rated players this season, Alexander-Arnold, Ben Chilwell, Reese James, Jao Cancelo, and even Marcus Alonso, they're all in there. So Marcus it, Alonso is in there. He, he started the season really well, if you remember, when Ben Chilwell didn't, had like a Euro hangover of not playing. Um, but yeah, Marcus Alonso, he, I think he started their first six league games. Um so yeah, just all of those fullbacks are in the top twenty, and I, I guess that just just shows how important or how important they are becoming and have become, sort of thing. Yeah, really interesting the development of fullbacks as, as we've already touched on. Now West Ham, Jonathan, they, they lost last week. Obviously, I mean Wolves has been a, a tough place to play, but it's a bit of a surprise probably that, that they have lost because they've 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 been so good. The perception is, is that they need to do a little bit of business in January. They're probably a, a little bit short. It says here that Tarkovsky, Lingard and a backup striker. But what, what would you say that West Ham need to sustain a top four challenge? I'd say exactly that. If you, I mean, I think they're very reliant on Michael Antonio. Uh, he's, you know, he's been absolutely brilliant. But, you know, if he when he was suspended earlier in the season, um, you, you saw their level dropped a bit. Uh, I think you can't be relying on... On, on one single forward. So, so, yeah, they probably need backup to him. Um, I, I suspect that they're going to suffer a bit. And maybe, maybe you saw this even at Wolves, that Ogbonna, I think, he, you know, got injured in that win over Liverpool and is out, I, I, I think, for mo- certainly most of the season, if not all yeah. the season, because of his um, it's a knee cruciate problem. Um, I think he, you know, he's, what, 33 now? And I, I think, he, you know, he's... He's, he's A, a really good player, but he's also kind of, I think, has a great sort of leadership role. I think he's got that sort of aura of authority. And, and, and you know, Lowe Dawson's come in and is, is fine. He's just not quite at the same level. So, so maybe they need to improve at centre-back. And then you saw how good Lingard was for them last season. He gave them something a bit extra from midfield. And the midfield with, with Rice and um, Suchek is very, very good. It's not that they're short there, but Lingard last season did make them better. You know he works in that system. So, yeah, th- those are the... I mean, Lingard, again, it's, it's an example of Manchester United, just sort of bizarre choices from, from, from the board that they could have sold them for 25 million, 20 million in the mm. summer, take the money, move on. Um, could even have maybe done some sort of deal with, with Declan Rice. Um, but no, they, they hold on to him and there's no place for him in that side. And there's never going to be a place for him. Where, where does he fit in that team? You know, the, the, the way that United play, even before Ronaldo got there, there's only one really creative central midfielder. Uh, possibly Pogba could fit in there as well. But is he going to displant Bruno Fernandes? No, of course he's not. And then you've got Donny van der Beek, who plays in that role, who, who probably is ahead of him in the pecking order. So it just seemed very odd odd to me. Why would you not Why would you not sell him when there's a club willing to, to pay reasonable money for him in the present market where clubs don't have a lot of money? Which I presume is one of the reasons why people like Juan Mata were given, given longer contracts because they... They thought rather than letting him go for free, you, you know, you'd try and get some money in the future. But Lingard was money there and then, and he was a player they, they didn't need and were never going to need. So, so yeah, uh, th- yeah, those three positions. Lingard, because we know he works there. A centre-back, because I think they look short without Ogbonna. And a centre-forward, because I think you can't rely on Michael Antonio all season. I think things are working out quite nicely for West Ham, because they haven't lost any momentum from the summer. They're, they're fourth. Um, and like if you assess the other candidates for the for that fourth position, they're right in there. Um, so yeah, they've not lost any momentum. And players like Lingard and Tarkovsky, um, they're they're out of contract at the end of this season. So to to carry on that momentum and potentially pick up two really good players for sort of like cut price deals, I think that could give them that extra momentum push in the second half of the season. I thought Tarkovsky would be a cert for Newcastle. Could yeah, that, that, that's the only problem West Ham might have now is that Newcastle could move the goal. Yeah, Lingard as well, actually. That's, that, you know, you wouldn't bet against him turning up at St James's Park either. Yeah, I mean, the th- thing they do have, though, is that they, they can say, look, we're, we're in the Europa League. Uh, so come and join our Europa League challenge. And you know, look where we are on the table. Next season, we'll definitely be in the Premier League. We might be in the Champions League. We'll probably be in the Europa League. Newcastle might be in the Championship. 
Mm-hmm. So, so Newcastle could probably almost certainly offer more money, but if you're a player, do you take that gamble for, for an extra 20, 30, 40% a week? Or, or do you think, no, I'll, I'll take the European football? I've got the London factor as well, haven't I? That'll, I don't know whether that's a thing now. Are you, are you saying about the North East? Are you attacking the North East? No, 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 not at all. I mean, but, I mean you've, got, you've come from the North East to, to London, Jonathan, the bright lights. Yeah, I mean, I did, you know, I, I'd been led to believe that the streets are paved with gold, but that, that, that seems to be a lie that they, they, they spin us. <laughs> I'm not sure it's gold. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, there, there is a there is a functional public transport network which sets it above the northeast. I'll give it that. It helps always helps. It used to be a thing when I was younger. Uh, like if you were trying to sign someone and in a London Sainsbury, no, they're going to go to London. <laughs> I'm going to not going to come to Birmingham. Since then, now we've got the Ball Ring, Grand Central. Birmingham was the place to be. Roy Keane was. Who was that player that who I can't remember who it was uh, who ended up joining Fulham instead of joining Sunderland under Roy Keane, and he said it was because his wife wanted to go shopping. Um, I can't remember. So, was it Chris Baird? Is that is that possible? Is that <laughs> true? Sure. Let, let me just Google Chris Baird and see if his wife. Uh, so, sorry, see if he he did join Fulham. And uh, uh, you're the other one who's going now, Jonathan. If we've got time for this, you feel for it. Yeah, it was Chris Baird. <laughs> wow, Chris Baird's wife's got a lot to answer for. If Roy Keane so believed. Anyway, sorry, carry on. No, a nice little segment. Always good to find out <laughs> information like that. Rodri versus Rice, both on really really good form. But who would you rather have? I presume who scored to get involved here with some kind of statue, Josh? Uh, yeah, well, Rice is actually the the top rate player of the two, but um, I just think from a from a personal perspective, I think I'd rather Rice as well. Not just I just like his mobility more, and I think he offer, he now he's definitely transformed his game a little bit, where he's offering more going forward. Um, I guess that's never going to be asked of Rodri to to that extent because his role is to to make others play better. Um, but but yeah, Rodri's come on come on a lot as well, hasn't he? I remember it seems a long time ago now that where City fans used to loathe him being in the team over Fernandinho, but now it's easy to forget that Fernandinho is even still there. Um, I guess that what didn't help Rodri to start with was that he joined the same summer um, Vincent Company left, uh, and I guess it's no surprise that he kicked on when Ruben Diaz arrived twelve months later. I guess there's a greater margin for error now with their defence looking so solid. But but yeah, personally, I would. Um, side with Rice? I think it depends on formation. I think if I was playing a 4-3-3 and you've got the one-sitter, I think I'd rather have Roger. If you've got a pairing, I think I'd rather have Declan Rice. Jonathan? I'd quite like the two of them to play together at the, at the back of a midfield. Well, I think solid. Rice... Yeah, Rice gives that solidity. He probably gives you more goal threat than Rodri. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's difficult to tell because obviously they're, they're playing in very different teams, but my suspicion would be that Rodri's sort of tactical and positional sense is, is slightly better. So... I don't know. I think I think it's a very very difficult question to answer. But they're both having great seasons. What what Rodri was missing at the start of his game was I think people criticised him for for not having the same the same nose for danger as Fernandinho. But last night on commentary, Martin Keown actually said that I think it was when Rodri um, forced Mbappe to overrun the ball, he just smells danger so well, and that I think that was something that he's learned since he he first arrived, which is a bit surprising, I guess, because he came from Atletico under Diego Simeone, but. But yeah, he, Rodri's actually one of three Manchester City players in our Premier League player form rankings, along with uh, Bernardo Silva. So there's your mention for him. Yeah, um, he is. And, and Cancelo. Um, and can, and just on this week's giveaway, um, Cancelo is our, our pick for to have to have shots from outside the box. So just to run through that again. Um, so we've teamed up with podcast sponsors Bet Victor, uh, and each week we select one player who we think will have a shot from outside the box. And each time they do, Bet Victor have agreed to give away five ten-pound bet bonuses. Last week we went for Ben Rama. He sadly didn't have one against against Wolves, but we've gone for Cancelo this time against West Ham. He's had twelve shots from outside the box in his last four appearances. Uh, so all you need to do to to be eligible is to be obviously be eighteen and over. Uh, comment Cancelo in the description of this YouTube page or retweet. Um, the specific posts on Sunday on Twitter. Good luck to everyone who enters. That's probably the easiest competition that you will ever have to enter because you're literally told what to write. All you have to do is type a footballer's name in the comments and you could win something. So, yeah, I don't know why more people aren't getting involved in that. I was going to say Declan Rice would be better in the dressing room as well. Yeah. The dressing room factor. Yeah, you always want to take that into consideration when you're choosing who you'd rather have in your team. Uh, predictions then. Jonathan, we'll come to you first. Uh, two on City. Same here. Josh, who scored? Uh, we have gone for 3-1 to Man City. 
3-1 to Manchester City. So a full house of Manchester City victories. Before we move on to Chelsea against Manchester United, let's talk to Sam Boswell from Betvit to have a look at the game and have a look at the next Manchester United manager odds. Welcome, Sam. Not happy about the shirt choice, done on purpose. I mean, I suppose I have well, actually I haven't got much Villa stuff in the background today, but usually I've got Villa background stuff all over the place. But yeah, it's the big one is Crystal Palace against Villa at the weekend, but we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Chelsea against Manchester United. What's going on on Bet Victor for the big game then? Yeah, the second biggest game of the weekend in our eyes, I suppose. Chelsea v United, as you'd expect. Chelsea, a short price at 11 to 20 to get another home win. 29 to 10, the draw. 5 to 1, Man United. Now, they've not been the team that they used to be United, but you wouldn't see too many occasions they'd be that kind of price. Uh, we've already got some boosts preset on the game that you can find already. Over two and a half goals, uh, 20 to 23, which I quite like the look of given just how iffy United have been defensively. I know, obviously, Champions League was a bit of a return to, to defensive rearguard action working, but I still felt they gave away chances. Uh, Chelsea going to be without uh, Chilwell, which is a real shame for them. So a little bit of a blow there. So if you fancy goals in the game, that's where to look. If you think Chelsea are going to walk all over United, we've boosted Chelsea half-time, full-time, uh, 8-5 to five from 29-20. to 20. Lots of specials on the site, as you can imagine. Introducing a new market as well, I'll just give a mention. Player stats totals. We assign points to certain events in the game, so a goal's worth 25 points and assists 15, etc. And we've priced Cristiano Ronaldo up for this game, so if you think he's going to have a stormer and he's going to score, say, over 40 points to 59 points, he's 13 to 8. Do check that out. It's quite an interesting, fun market and something for people to get involved in. Lovely. Nice little new market there from Bet Victor. Manchester United's next manager then, who are the punters punting on? It's it's like every next manager market at the moment. I think these are getting driven more and more by very short-term social media influencers that are posting a story up and then people are diving in on prices. And I would urge everyone just to be a little bit cautious because I think in the space of a week, we've had about two or three different odds-on shots touch on this you know Brendan Rodgers is now 25 to one shot he was favorite at one stage Zidane's 25 to one he was favorite at one stage current favorite is Pochettino but he's drifted to three to one now Ernesto Valdero is five to one Ralph Randrick six to one uh, and Michael Carrick eight to one which on the face of it a good start to life if he was to get a point away at Chelsea and then a couple of wins over the period heading into Christmas, I I can see United sitting on their hands a little bit and wanting time. You know, the last thing they want to do is appoint another disastrous manager. I know you quite like the look of Laurent Blanc, and we were talking about this off air. Mm. I agreed with you on that one and could see him. He's a 25 to one shot, but it is really hard out there. I, I, I genuinely on these markets usually have at least an opinion. I'm struggling to formulate one that makes any kind of sense for any of the names listed. Um, you know, do, do, do United go left field? Let's be honest, they probably can't afford to to make another error or take a risk. So it's going to have to be a, a big name. But the Steve Bruce factor, we've seen plenty of people suggest he's the right man for an interim job. He's 33 to 1. Personally, I'd make him about 333 to 1. I wouldn't want him anywhere near a football club if I was a fan of United. Um, maybe I'm being a bit harsh, but that's just my opinion. But yeah, a, a tricky market, obviously, do gamble responsibly especially on all these kind of markets because it's very easy to see things on social media and people jump on them you know do check your sources and maybe just try and take a left field punt at this stage because who knows where man united are going to go on this one where's roy Keane sat that's the one everyone wants to say roy Keane. i mean he would be box office wouldn't he he's 66 to one um but you know like i say i think that's a case of 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 would you know he'd last about six weeks, wouldn't he, before the players went on strike and didn't like the fact that he spoke to them in an aggressive manner? I, you know, could you imagine Roy Keane and Pogba in the same changing room? I don't. Oh, think they'd have a fight within five minutes. I don't think it'd last long. Um, before I go, just must mention one of the other boosts in the Crystal Palace Villa game. Christian Benteke to score two or more goals, seventeen to one boosted from twelve to one. Come on, you Eagles! I mean, that is my my Saturday three pm tip is Benteke to score against Villa like he did last season. So, yeah, not two, though. We can't be having that. But, yeah, thanks ever so well, much, Sam. Dress better next week. But, yeah, thank you very much. Josh, you're a Man U fan. Who do, do you fancy? Well, I probably know who you fancy. But who do you think they're going to get? I don't know. It's tough, isn't it? I, I just can't see Pochettino leave it, even though the, it sounds like he's open to it. I just don't think that's going to happen. So I think it will be an interim until the end of the season. But who that is, it seems like they've got a... A list of five five names, um, but I don't. I'm not quite sure who they'll end up going with. As long as it's not 
Carrick for the rest of the season. Nothing against Carrick, but as long as it's not not as long as they don't go down the same path with with Solskjaer with Carrick. Um, but yeah, we'll just have to see. I think I'm not I'm not quite sure. I mean, knowing the way that Manchester United operate, they'll probably beg Solskjaer to come back in two weeks. Either, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't bet against that happening at all. Jonathan, you're in the biz. Have you got any clue? No. I mean, I, I think at the, at the moment, Pochettino to come in at some point, probably next summer rather than, than January, would be my, my, my slight inclination. But I think there's still quite a few bridges to be crossed. Um, I, I, I mean... If, if Carrick does okay the next couple of weeks, I'm not sure why you wouldn't just keep him on as, as the interim. Um, but it, it, it would be absolutely hilarious if... <laughs> I mean, imagine that they, uh, you know, they end up somehow winning the Champions League or something under Michael Carrick and uh, he ends up getting the job and they have to sack him sort of in, in 18 months' time. Uh, that, would, that, would, that, would, uh, I didn't, that would amuse me a lot. Give him Ronaldo, player manager. We need the boss there now anyway. You might as well give it Ronaldo for a laugh and, and see what happens. Josh, how are Manchester United going to salvage a point against Chelsea? Because there's absolutely no way they're going to win. I, I can't see it, to be honest. As much as I hate, I hate to say it, I just can't see it. I think Chelsea, as we saw saw against um, Juventus in midweek, even though that's probably the worst Juventus team I've seen in a long time. They were just so, so good. I mean, when Thomas Tuchel came in, I, I wasn't actually quite sure about him when he took over at Chelsea. I thought there were some red flags with the way PSG lost matches. Um, but I guess if you fast forward to now and you see the suggestions that Pochettino is not happy there, then I guess it seems to be very much a PSG problem rather than a than a manager problem. But yeah, it's, it's crazy to think that Tuchel's not even been there a full year yet. And he, he's t- sort of turned into the dream manager for Roman Abramovich. He's winning games, they're playing good football, they're European champions. And, and Chelsea's youngsters are playing a pivotal role, finally. Um, I think they went 3-0 up against Juventus, didn't they? And all three of the goal scorers were from the academy. So it sort of it was like Cobham 3, Juventus 0. Um, and they that was with Loftus-Cheek and Mason Mount coming off the bench. I, I think you, you've got, like in this game, they're clear favourites. And I think for the title, generally speaking, I think they're, they're right up there with Manchester City, with possibly Liverpool just behind. Uh, and they, they've done it all. They, like the last, Lukaku's not played for the last seven games. Um, and even though he wasn't in amazing form, to have him back is obviously going to make them much stronger. Yeah, and there's something funny going on at Cobham, Jonathan, because whoever plays in defence for Chelsea, they seem to become the most prolific goal scorer in world football. The defenders just pop up with goals all over the place, and every corner they have, they look like they'll score Chelsea. Yeah, you've you bored me with your uh, your fantasy league and your um, your football manager nonsense. Let, let, let me bore you with uh, my table football career. Oh, okay. um, Interesting. Foosball. I mean, as they called it in Friends, yeah. But um, I, I always thought that when you got to a high level of table football, the 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 two defensive players became your key attacking threats uh, because the the they were the players who had time on the ball. You know, you can knock the ball backwards with them, and, and you get the ball off a, off a backboard, get get off a keeper, and so you know you could you could work a shooting opportunity easy with them. And I, I think there's a there's an element to which that's happening in in real football now that the defenders of the players coming from positions that are hard to to pick up, particularly the fullbacks. You know, as, as we said earlier, when talking about Cancelo. Uh, but I also think, yeah, set plays. There's been a sort of this, this sort of sense, uh, I think, certainly with with Guardiola teams, that um, set plays are almost uh, a thing that'll just happen. You don't have to practice them. You know, if you get the structure right. You'll get set plays and you will score from or you take them short and you recycle it and you, you set up the positions that you, you know how to play from. But actually set plays, if you have big defenders who are good in the air um, or a big striker who's good in the air, they're a really easy way that you can invest not a huge amount of time on the training pitch and get quite big rewards in the game itself. So I think you saw that with, um, some, I can't the precisely, but there was some incredible statistics with, with Mitchell and, yeah, who obviously Matthew Benham, the... the, the um, Brentford owner, you know, the other team he's been involved with, that they put a, did a load of work on set plays and, and, and increased the number of goals they scored significantly. And so I just sort of think, if you, why would you not work on set plays? It, it just sort of seems a thing where you... And in England at the World Cup in 2018, they obviously spent a lot of time working on set plays. And that became a huge factor in England getting to the, to the semi-final. So Chelsea obviously do 
do work on set plays and, and they're, they're, they're reaping the benefits. And I don't know why more teams don't do it. I feel like Patrice everywhere, but I love this game. I tell you what, who scored over the last 24 hours? I've heard some outrageous things. We did the spaces last night. And the first thing was that uh, Jake compared Tony Cruz to Tom Huddleston. No, Tiago to Tom Huddleston, which I wasn't expecting. Then the second thing was Martin labelled Lionel Messi pathetic. And now today... We're talking about table football and comparing real football to, to, to table football. I mean, tune in next week to find out how Man City <laughs> beat West Ham based on Sabutio. Because I'll tell you what. Not Sabutio. It's not Sabutio. No, 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 no. I'm saying next week. Next oh, next week. week. Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. Next sorry. Week. Sorry. You said love to ruin my gag, Jonathan. Honestly. <laughs> the great, greatest gag of all time ruined. Absolutely. <laughs> I absolutely loved Sabutio as a kid. Incidentally, if anyone cares. Hudson Adoy. Going a little bit under the radar, Josh. He's been an important part of, of what Chelsea have done this season. He's started eight out of the last ten games as well. He's. Um, it, I think it just all goes back to the point Jonathan made last week: is that if if you're performing well in training and you do what Thomas Tuchel wants, there's clear evidence that that will be that you'll get the rewards and you'll get first team chances. Uh, I think that so that was a big criticism of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. But um, but yeah, this has happened to uh, Hudson Odoi, who, who's clearly extremely talented. And, and under, I think he broke through under Conte. He had a bit of a spell under Sari, but never really sustained. He obviously had that big injury um, and then was in and out under Lampard. But now, yeah, he's become a pretty important player for for Thomas Tuchel. Um, I, I'm, I'm such a big fan of him. And I, I was quite excited to see him when he was linked to Bayern and, and Dortmund to see how that would go for him. But uh, Chelsea were pretty adamant that he wouldn't leave, even though he wasn't playing it. And, and I guess this is why. I, I, I actually think he's got the same ceiling as Jadon Sancho. Um, obviously, just coming a couple of years later than 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 Sancho, but yeah, um, I'm sure that Gareth Southgate will have his eye on him now. There's been a lot of talk about whether um, we should have called, we should have given him his, him a competitive game just so he can be swayed elsewhere. But uh, he wasn't playing at that time, but now he is, and he's actually across the last three Premier League seasons, he's actually averaging um, a clear cut goal scoring opportunity. So he's creating one more as often as Trent Alexander Arnold and. Bruno Fernandes and more frequently than the likes of Mo Salah, Son and Jack Grealish. So he just needs that run of games now, which he's getting. And then I think we'll really find out what he's made of. He can also play right wing back. So Gareth Southgate's always will be lighting up there because as we know, <laughs> you, you can sorry, never have two minutes. Did he not play in that away game in Montenegro in that qualifier? Has he not really played competitively for England? I don't think so because I think there's talk, isn't there, about um, I think it's Ghana want, are interested okay. in trying to take him. Maybe I'm wrong. I, I, yeah, okay. Maybe, maybe I'm misremembering that. Sorry. I haven't got a clue. I can't get involved. I don't know either way. Uh, Carrick's first game then, Jonathan, did you watch Manchester United the other night? I did. I did. Champions yeah. League. What did you think? I mean, I, think, well, I thought actually I, I, it was okay. I, 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 yeah, it was okay. And, and I think he did the right thing, which was to keep him defensively solid. Um, I don't think you'd expect miracles in the first game. I don't think you'd expect major changes. But the, just the fact that the fullback sat much deeper early on, which meant Dan Juma didn't have the influence over the game he did in the, the meeting at Old Trafford, that was just a you know basic thing you could do to to, to sort of nullify the, the VAR threat. United, I think, that first hour, 65 minutes, still weren't great. That De Gea made a couple of very good saves. Uh, and this is, you know, it's, it's not that they're playing a really good side. They're playing the team who are, what, 13th, I think, or 12th in, in, in La Liga. Um and then he, you, know, he, you have to give him credit for the substitutions he made, which which flipped the game, and, and United were much much better in that last 20, 25 minutes. So, yeah, he, he shut Villarreal down. Uh, they they got away with it slightly, and then the last quarter of the game, they're much a better side, and, and in the end, probably did deserve the win. So, he he, he stopped the rot at, at the very least. I, you know, I wouldn't be giving them the job on the back of that game, but equally, I think that realistically was was pretty much as good as you could have expected. So. Um, we'll see if he can, you know, shutting down the 13th best team in Spain is one thing. Can you shut down the best team in Europe? It's a bit harder. Uh, and he's having to do it without Varane and without Maguire and without Pogba and without Greenwood, which obviously makes it even more difficult. No Maguire, Chelsea set pieces. It could be a, could be a worry for Manchester United. We've got a combined 11. So, Jonathan, you, you'll have done one as well, I'm sure. Yeah, it's really how many, hard. How many are in yours? Um, Manchester, 15, well, no, there's 11. How many Manchester United players? No, there's 15 Chelsea players and no Manchester United players. I found it really <laughs> hard to pick an 11 out of a Chelsea squad. Oh, really? Uh, no, it was quite, it's quite hard to work out what their, what their starting 11, what their first choice 11 would be. Um, go on then. Let's see. You well, I, Mendy, um, 
Thiago Silva flanked by Christensen and Rüdiger, James and uh, I mean I presume we're going with only fit players, so Alonso at left back. Um, Jorginho and I know there's doubts over Kante uh, and Kovacic is obviously out, so Jorginho plus one could be Loftus Cheek, could be Kante, but certainly not Fred or McTominay or Matic. Um, and then is Mason Mount going to be back after all this tooth stuff? I'm not sure. He came on the other night, so he should. So be. so some some Mount and probably Havertz behind Lukaku. Uh, weirdly, the one player, the one United player who I would be tempted to put in there is if I played Havertz as the centre-forward and then maybe drop in Jadon Sancho. I guess maybe Bruno Fernandes. Maybe that's a bit unfair. Maybe being over-influenced yeah. by his slight downturn in form of last month. But he was very good having come on against Villarreal. But fundamentally, yeah, it's uh, it's a Chelsea eleven. I mean, Chelsea got so many players. I, I really feel like you're missing someone blatant from Chelsea's team. Well, Timo team Werner, I haven't found a space for. Yeah, that's okay. um, Chalaba, uh, he's obviously been really good recently. Aspilicueta. It's the position behind the striker, isn't it? There is literally uh, different personnel everywhere. I mean, Bar- Pulisic. Bar- Barkley's played there and looks Barkley, semi-decent. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't have him in the team, but un- unbelievable options. Chelsea have got the squad is so, so strong. What's the who scored statistical 11 then, Josh? So ours is all competitions um, and excluding injured players. Uh, so it's Edouard Mendy in goal, uh, which I guess is fairly, fairly obvious. Um, and then in defence, we've got Thiago Silva and Rudiger, And I guess that third spot, that Jonathan said, is quite up for grabs. We've, we've actually got Trevor Shalaba, um, which is heavily influenced by the amount of goals he scored this season. Um, and then in midfield, so it's a 3-4-3, I should say. We've got Reese James, who sh- could have the freedom of uh, Manchester United's left area of their defence with no Shaw and no Maguire. And then we've got Jorginho and Ruben Loftus-Cheek as the central midfield partnership with Kante injured i think this is kante's eighth separate injury of this in this calendar year alone um which is a i guess a concern going forward for them uh, and it would have been ben Chilwell, but we've got marcus alonso which is quite a nice uh backup to have for chelsea when you consider how many goals their defense scores and marcus alonso has probably been the best goal scorer and fullback in the premier league over the last five or so years and then this is probably where it might get a little bit controversial the two behind our lone striker we've got callum hudson adoy and bruno fernandez he, Fernandez is helped by his Champions League rating. He's he's assisted in all five of his games in that in that competition. And then because Lukaku has has been out for so long, and he was quite poor before before then, we've actually got Cristiano Ronaldo up front. And again, he's helped by the fact that he scored in every Champions League game as well this season. Jonathan loves it when Ronaldo makes it into the turn, don't you, Jonathan? I'm always nervous to mention it. Well, you know, you know my feelings. <laughs> I do. Feel free to say them again for people who might be new to the podcast, Jonathan. Let's not. Let's not he scores loads of goals, but he dis- unbalances the side. He destroyed Juventus and he's destroyed Manchester United despite all his goals. And his goals are part of his cunning. The, 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 that, that's what allows the toxicity to spread because all, all people see, oh, goals, late goals, winner. Ooh. Nice. I mean, you don't want to say goals in football. Absolutely not. That is not, not what Go- Goals are such a misleading statistic. Poor Ronaldo. I don't think he watches. I can't imagine him watching any podcast at all, let alone ask. But yeah, poor Ronaldo. But if he is, you know, book up Sunshine. <laughs> Have you ever written an article on him and you like absolutely slated him like you do on the podcast? Because he might have seen, he might say that. I mean, have you read any of my Oove? Like, I think I've done no. eight pieces this season about Ronaldo. I don't know what Oove is. What's Oove? Uh, it's a French word. Uh, I don't know yeah. what it means. No, uh, like the my body of work, okay, which makes nice. me sound incredibly pretentious. I mean, I guess Uve <laughs> did as well. <laughs> I'll give you a chance to advertise your books for Christmas, Jonathan. I've seen you've been doing that on Twitter. Yeah, I have. I mean, yeah. Yeah, all my books I think will make excellent Christmas presents. But um, yeah, inverting the pyramid is is uh, the one I make most money off. So if you could buy that, that'd be great. Uh, but you know, if you want to. Uh, look at the tragic story of Hungarian football between the wars. Um, a load of players who uh, and coaches who were incredibly influential, who sort of been forgotten about now because they they, they were killed in the Second World War, um, either in conflict or or in um, in concentration camps. Um, the names had long ago. It's my most recent book, uh, Angels of Dirty Faces: My History of Argentinian Football. There's something for everybody. Yeah, I mean that story's still not as tragic as when I did the nice gesture of buying you a program and you basically. <laughs> That's still one of the most tragic things that's ever been seen. Well, so whenever I tweet you, Jonathan, you never reply. I always, I always think, oh, I've been a bit of a Jonathan. We're good friends now. Oh, no, he just ignores me. It makes me look silly in front of my peers. I, I, I genuinely never notice you tweeting me. I get lots of tweets from people. <laughs> uh, well, we, we all do, Jonathan, but if I got a tweet from you, I would reply. <laughs> 
Uh, let's do this. <laughs> let's move on now to the bet builder. Josh, give us the bet builder for this week. Uh, yeah. So should we do our predictions first for this game, and then I'll move on? Oh, oh, you're the boss, Josh. Okay, fine. You're yeah. the host now, Josh. You want to? You want to <laughs> tell us what to do? I was just thinking for Jonathan's sake. For, for he's got to get off, hasn't he? Yeah. Okay. I've got uh, two nil. Two 0 oh, Chelsea. Yeah, I've gone two 0 Chelsea as well. <laughs> We've gone for 3-0. United have conceded as many goals in the Champions League this season as Chelsea have in all competitions. So don't think they're gonna get have any joy here. I mean it doesn't matter what order we do, because Johnson's still gotta be on the screen when we do the bet builder. So <laughs> <laughs> it makes no difference at all. But give us True. the bet builder, please, Josh. Okay, I'll quickly run through it. Um so we've got it's a it's another four parter. We've got Chelsea to score two plus goals. Chelsea have scored 14 in their last four league matches and have scored at least twice in eight of their last 12 in the league. Obviously, United have massive defensive issues in general and also coming into this game. Uh, the next part, we've got Lukaku to score. He scored the, his last three goals have come at for Chelsea, have come at Stamford Bridge and he obviously will have a bit of a point to prove against his former club. Uh, we've got Ronaldo to be carded. He's actually been carded more times against Chelsea than he scored goals. He's been booked five times against them in his career, which is the joint most against any English team. And um, we've already seen a number of times this season the petulant side of him. So it wouldn't be surprised if uh, United are frustrated in this game and Ronaldo just lashes out at Aspilicueta like Ibrahimovic did recently. Um, and then the last part is Fred to be carded. He's been booked in four of his last five appearances against Chelsea. And that's been boosted from 32 to 1 to 40 to 1, which is again a best price. Excellent. Good prices this week. Thank you very Good much prices. to our sponsors, Bet Victor. That does us for this week's show. I'm off to compose a tweet that's going to be good enough for Jonathan to reply <laughs> for. And as Josh is now the host, I think it's only fair that he sees us out. Do you want, do you want, to, do you want to see us out, Josh? Yeah, I'll go for it. A bit of pressure. Thanks, thanks everyone for tuning in. Remember to subscribe and uh, leave all your comments below. And, and good luck, Jonathan, for your day session. Thank you, and uh, stay safe.